Hello, you are listening to the DPW Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. Uh, with me today, as always, what is your name? Spencer, the Washington Whale Walloper Church. Yeah. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Special guest today, I'm very excited for this. The author of Colony, a Callum Ross thriller, Mr. Benjamin Cross. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Yeah, yeah, doing really well. Really pretty good at the moment. I say it's uh, it's about eleven o'clock in the evening over here. So uh, if I if I sound like I'm slurring my words or anything, then uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my excuse. <laughs> if you're slurring your words, you came to the right podcast. Yeah, I, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> they kind of expect that here. <laughs> this is one of the few times I'm not actually drinking an alcoholic beverage on air, so that's probably good. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that makes for a better or worse podcast on our end. For those who haven't read Colony or unaware, this might be up your alley. Harmsworth, a remote mist-shrouded island in the Russian Arctic. Archaeology professor Callum Ross makes the discovery of a lifetime, a prehistoric ice mummy preserved for thousands of years by the sub-zero temperatures, only they didn't die of natural causes. As Callum races to unravel the mystery of the mutilated corpse, others race to sabotage the expedition, and he and his team are left stranded on the island. And they are not alone. Someone, or something, relentless is stalking them. As the Arctic mist descends and the death toll rises, the team is thrust into a nightmare fight for survival involving submarines, cyber warfare, and spesnats. But none of this can prepare them for the real terror that survives deep within the island's heart, a secret so ancient it's been overlooked by time itself. Colony is an edge-of-your-seat action thriller that will appeal to fans of Clive Cussler, James Rollins, and Michael Critchin. I did not have a chance to read everything that you sent me. I read the prologue, some of chapter one, and then the introduction of Callum. So from what I've just gathered, obviously from the synopsis, it seems like a very action-paced novel. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it is. It seems just like it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. I'm actually look- I was actually looking for a physical copy I wanted to buy, because you sent me along the, uh, you know, the, like an ebook, but I-, I like to have a physical copy, but it wasn't available yeah, as of now. No, I'm, I'm the same. It's, uh, it's definitely a difference, isn't there, if you can actually hold the book in your hands and sort of, you know, thumb through it. Oh, yeah. It's part, much more part of the experience for me as well. But uh, yeah, I, there, there were copies available um, in the US for a while, but they sold out, unfortunately, or fortunately. Well, that's depending. fortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That's unfortunate. But yeah, um, <laughs> so uh, I, I've been on to the publisher to, you know, to try and find out when they're getting restocked and apparently um, any day now. But yeah, things have slowed down because of how the world is. Hey, I mean, that was actually going to lead up to something I wanted to ask you later, but we can start with that mm-hmm. just as a sidebar. With book sales and things like that, has it been harder? Because you published January 20th, right? Came out on the 28th of January. Yeah, so just about a week and a half ago, I guess. Yeah, and over in the UK, you guys just had a, like a new mutilated or a mutated strain of COVID. So I don't know if you're yeah. having more shutdowns or not, but I would imagine that would put a little bit of a wrench in the whole process of putting out a book. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's changed the whole landscape of, of uh, you know, publishing really, or at least marketing books. Mm-hmm. You know, as you guys probably have seen as well, a lot of it shifted online, you know, and so where you would have been doing going around to actual bookshops and doing sort of talks and signings and stuff now it's you know I, I did the launch for colony using zoom so you know i had a, a load of people just sort of you know joined in and uh, we, we <laughs> spoke to each other over over the, the webcam basically and but i think that's pretty much how everybody's doing it you know yeah but in terms of like what what we're doing over here at the moment yeah i mean where i live in wales which is basically in the sort of southwest of of the uk it, we're all locked down again you know we're not we're not really allowed to go anywhere unless it's absolutely essential uh. so a lot of cabin fever going on <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, that's got to suck. Over here, it's kind of like yeah. the Wild West. We're yeah. just state by state. Everybody does something different, and it's, it's a total mess. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, be, I'll be watching it. Actually. It's been, you know, it's. I keep a keen eye on what's going on with you guys over there, and I know it seems like people have been trying to like take control of it at a, at a national level, a federal yeah. level, but it's just not happening, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Things have calmed down uh, over yeah. the last few weeks. There's just at least a nice air of calm as of now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope it stays that way. <laughs> Hopefully things get better, but we'll see. Yeah. As far as like the writing landscape, though, I've noticed since this whole thing started, I figured more people would be reading, and that hasn't really been the case. More people have been writing. Like for our mm. site, we've had a lot of submissions this year. We do a Halloween, um, like a horror submission period every year. Usually we get, what, maybe 50 to 100 submissions. Yeah. We had a lot this year. I had actually... We had to turn down some. I, a lot. And I normally try not to turn down, you know, obviously if it's bad writing or something. But, you know, if the stories are decent, I don't usually turn down decent stories. I couldn't keep up. Yeah. But as far as the readership, uh, it's been down. So I was wondering, like, I mean, this is your first book. You don't really have anything to compare it to. But mm. have you noticed just in the publishing world of sales are down? I mean, I hadn't noticed that that had happened at all, to be honest. I, I It seemed to me as if sales were pretty much up. You know, people wanted escapism, mm. particularly within like uh, genres like horror and, and science fiction and, you know, that sort of thing. It, it's the word that I've had is that people are actually buying more books. Um, maybe they're not reading them. But they're kind of stockpiling them, you know, um, right. because they know that they're going to have a lot of spare time and all the rest of it. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There, a lot of people have, are using this extra time that they've suddenly got to to do things they've always wanted to do, haven't they? Like writing. So it doesn't surprise me that you're getting loads more submissions. You know, I mean that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, more work yeah. comes out. That's better for everybody, in my opinion. Yeah. I was actually really interested to find out that you uh, are an archaeologist. We don't get too many archaeologists on the podcast. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> you got two for one with me, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's something I've been doing for a few years now. I mean, I uh, I guess when I was at, at uni, I started off doing um, like learning about English, basically doing English lit, and it was putting me off reading books. You know, I, I had people telling me what I needed to read and when I needed to read it by and stuff. And that's not what it's about, is it? No. Um, so I kind of, I looked around really for something else that was, that I found interesting. And um, I, I sort of noticed that there was an archaeology course. Uh, I'd never even thought you could do that, you know, to study it. And I got involved and never looked back really. You know, it's um, it's just a fascinating thing. And, and ever since then, I've been out digging in the field and, you know, writing up reports about it all. And yeah, it's it's been a wonderful career. I feel like archaeology doesn't get it doesn't get talked about as much anymore as like it should be. Like you know, you never not since Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of one of the first things that the uh, the lecturer said to us when we started on the course was, "Don't expect that you're going to get you know any large boulders rolling up here. Or, <laughs> uh, nobody's going to shoot at you with any arrows. You know, <laughs> very few mummy curses. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> How is uh? Like, how was your background in archaeology, like, the, the the research that went into colony, I would imagine, because, uh, you know, it's set kind of in, like, a, a frozen wasteland, but, like I said, I didn't get a chance to read the whole book, but I would imagine you used a lot of that knowledge to uh, yeah. add some realism to the book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the main character is Callum Ross, he's a, a Scottish archaeology professor and he, he basically gets sent over to this island, you know, and one of the things, he's not expecting to find anything. You know, this is for archaeologists, this is so far north that they're thinking to themselves, you know, 
nobody's ever going to have lived there. It's uninhabitable, mm. you know. Um, but anyway, he gets roped into it and he ends up there. And then he suddenly realised, well, hang on a minute, people were here thousands of years ago. And he finds this uh, this ice mummy. So it's basically a prehistoric person that's been frozen, you know, um, 8,000 years ago. And because they've been frozen, they're still it, absolutely, you know, n- nothing's decayed. So you can still see the face and they're still whole, really. So, yeah, th- those sorts of aspects, they, they draw on things that I've, you know, uh, been researching while I've been involved in archaeology, the process to like preservation of bodies and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of Callum's, you know, backstory as well, really, has, has drawn from my experience with archaeology. So, well, with things like the permafrost melting and whatnot, I always thought it was really cool when they find these specimens that are yeah. completely yeah. intact. Oh, Even like the, yeah. like the dinosaur they found is still had like feathers or fur or something. It's happening more and more as well, Caleb. It's um, you know, I mean, this is one of the things that I guess kind of inspired the, this idea um, for, for setting it up up in that region. You know, every day people are the permafrost is melting more and mm. receding, and all these things are turning up. You know, frozen mammoths and you know um, all these sorts of things, and and also because the ice is disappearing, people are finding you know um, flint tools and things much further north than they ever thought they'd find them so yes it's actually it's not good for the planet but mm-hmm. it's an exciting time for archaeology in that respect so well from reading the like the prologue of colony it kind of gave me more of a, a vibe like an impression of um like like at the mountains of madness or the movie the thing mm-hmm. because you know like the frozen those are in antarctica but like the frozen like the frozen setting but then you also have like the isolation yeah and you're then trapped the, in a certain area the quote unquote creature that you know obviously would yeah, yeah. unravel slowly throughout the book did you was there any specific fiction that inspired this story or was it just you know amalgamation of different things i think it was kind of um probably the second you know it's it's there was one specific story that really inspired it but I think that's when you mentioned the sense of isolation there. I mean, that would, that's that's key to this book, you know, mm-hmm. um, this, this island, as well as being where it is. And so for part of the year, at least, it's subject to the midnight sun, you know, so it's constant, constantly daytime, um, which is a very disorientating thing. Yeah. You know? um, and I mean, it's it affects people at a very deep level psychologically as well. I think, it, you know, um, in, in regions that, experience these prolonged periods of, of, of no darkness, you know, uh, suicide rates are higher, depression rates are all this sort of stuff, you know, really does affect people. And then added to that on this particular island, there's this very regular mist that kind of rolls in, you know, the climate there is such that it produces these very thick mists, um, which which basically coat the island in this really sort of like thick, mm-hmm. you know, swathe of gas. And it's all very, very disoriented and, and mysterious, you know. And I think that was one of the key things that I wanted to kind of use within the novel and create that tension, you know. Well, that that, that kind of atmosphere yeah. really lends itself to horror too, which is this kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. came across to me from what I read as a, a horror thriller. Yeah. Which is right in my wheelhouse. So, like I said, I definitely want to buy a physical copy. Uh, if you want to shoot me an email, if that yeah. comes out, I would definitely yeah. get one <laughs> yeah, right definitely. away. I was going to yeah, buy yeah, one today, yeah. but I couldn't. Have you noticed, this is kind of a bad segue, but um, just with like the your social media presence and everything, has, what was the correlation between that and sales for the book? It's, I think it's really important. I mean, it's become very much more important recently. Um, I had, uh, so about maybe six or seven years ago, I guess, when I was going around looking for agents and, uh, you know, trying to actually get the book out there and get some representation, I had people would turn it around and saying, you know, what's your mm-hmm. media presence like? 
And at the time, I didn't really have one, you know, at the, back then because yeah. I was spent I was spending my time writing, you know, rather than um, talking to people online and, and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, it, it, you could tell that they weren't very impressed with that, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's like, well, what do you want? I can't, I can't write and do that. But these days, you kind of, it's kind of par for the course, you know. I think I was listening to another podcast that you guys did, and you were talking about this kind of broad aspect to it you know these days people are meant to be publishers are expecting writers yeah. to do it themselves you know um and we're not really marketers are we um we'd, we'd, that's not what we got into this no. for. <laughs> so you know it I, used to I be guess, marketing was the publisher's job right? not anymore yeah 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 absolutely yeah but i'd say yeah definitely for me it's you know I've, i'm really quite active on twitter and facebook and get more so on instagram now but not as much um well the instagram's always kind of hard for the writing you know um poets do well yeah uh, oh yeah that's more of an image-based medium yeah and then you can you have excerpts and things like that from your novel but yeah it's kind of hard to really get into that niche uh you know the instagram author because i I tried dabbling in it i just well, that's even with Twitter and stuff. I just, I'm not a marketer. I don't really yeah. care to do things like that. And it's, uh, it's really not fun. Uh, some people enjoy it, but I'm, I'm not one of those people. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that puts you in a tough spot. But when it comes to, like, when I, when I write my first novel, I would, uh, obviously have to step that up yeah. a lot to, to get, cause I was doing well for a while. And it's just, it was like a, it was a time drag. Well, and then also too, you also was getting in trouble too. <laughs> Yeah. A, li- a little bit. Um, <laughs> that, 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 just... We'll talk about that often. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we want to want to watch what we say here, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, to be honest with you, though, Caleb, I, I, I mean, before I started uh, getting involved with Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff, I was kind of the same, you know. I didn't really like, you know, I didn't know about it and I didn't particularly think that I'd enjoy it. But I have to say that since I've got involved with Twitter in particular, I've actually made some really good friends on there. You know, and there's a great crew on there, um, like the writing community. So they hash- hashtag themselves with hashtag writing community, you know, and um, it, just some of the people I've met on there, I would actually consider to be friends now. Mm-hmm. And I never I never would have imagined that, you know, or expected it. So it, it it's actually been quite a good thing for me, quite a positive thing, you know. And well, yeah, with in- with Instagram, I've got no idea. You know, yeah. I'm, still, <laughs> I, I'm still very much learning that, you know, I, I think my my. I don't know, whatever it is, my collage page must look like an awful mess. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, just brainstorming. You could do a lot of cool archaeology things on there. Yeah. May, I don't know how you tie that in with the writing, but you could... Uh... Yeah, well, that's that's what I've been trying to do, actually. I, I think I've started off with it putting up, you know, just random pictures of mm. family, and, you know, then I started putting up pictures of the book, and then I moved on to taking pictures of, you know, uh, bits that I'd found in the garden, you know, like when I've, I've been digging in the garden mm. and finding bits and pieces, you know. Um, so I probably will end up putting on more archaeology than anything else. But, uh, See, that's one of the benefits of living in a country that's thousands of years old. You can yeah. find cool stuff in yeah. your backyard. Yeah. The most we get is maybe arrowheads. Um, yeah. Or the occasional Viking coin, which would yeah. be, awesome. be really awesome to find one of those. Um, yeah. I'll have to get your handle for uh, Instagram later so I can follow you on there because I don't think I am. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Not that I have many followers on there. That's another yeah. thing. Like, well, I, was, I was talking to my wife the other day and she was because she uses it quite a bit. And she was saying that, um, like, I, I didn't actually understand what it, how you were meant to sort of do it really and she was saying well look people are trying to create something that looks like a whole even though it's made up of little pieces you mm. know all the pictures are supposed to come together and give a kind of an impression and that was completely new on me you know so it's it's a very i think it's quite a nuanced 
yeah. piece of social media, really. <laughs> I've seen some of those done really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, that's that's something that I feel like you're putting a lot of effort into, which actually segues. Ways. This wasn't my next question, but it does segue perfectly into it. Is the you wrote Colony what over like a ten year span or even more while working a day job? It's like my, an intense day job. Yeah. <laughs> See, my yeah. Pro- my problem <laughs> with uh, both of our issue with our writing progress usually tends to deal with our day jobs. You know, taking up time. Then obviously the social media is hard to follow. You don't only have so many hours in a day and so much energy. So how did you maintain? A good writing uh, schedule while working a, like an intense day job. Well, I think with uh, with Colony because it was my first book. I I didn't really. I didn't basically. I didn't maintain. I maintained no kind of. You know, there wasn't a rhythm to it. It was completely arrhythmic. You know, that makes I, me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. You got it. You know, this is this is how it goes. Um, I I would. You know, I. I'd, get into phases of like making sure that I was doing a little bit on the evenings or in the morning I'd fit an hour in here and there in between you know on lunch breaks and stuff I'd just piece it together it really was a big sort of (laughs) you know mash of uh, little bits of time that I could kind of eke out of different parts of my day one of the reasons it took so long obviously you know, I mean, with archaeology, it's great fun, but uh, it's it is it's very intense, mm. and it's also it's one of those things where you're you know you're not very settled, so it's not like you've got a routine, you know, where right. you can add another element to it. You kind of one day you're in the southwest, the next day you know you're staying up in Scotland or wherever it is, and it's all very you know here, there, and everywhere. So yeah, it's um, and it seems like a, like, like a very like probably like physical job more like than what I think more people would think. Like you know, yeah. like being out in a, you know the elements and stuff like that, and that can be also be very, be very draining. Yeah, it, it can be. I mean, I I did this is before I started writing Colony. This is back in about two thousand and seven. I was working on a big pipeline job, so they were basically putting in a gas pipe, and it was you know this was miles and miles of pipe and we just had to go ahead of it and dig what archaeology there was and because it was such a big project with such a lot of money behind it they were paying us huge amounts of like overtime to basically work 80 90 100 hour weeks <laughs> you know um you you were you were doing 12 plus hour days at least uh, every day of the week Jeez. and i remember on, on one stretch working for about 35 days straight 12 hour days i was an i was an absolute zombie mentally <laughs> but Physically, I've never been so ripped. <laughs> I can't, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a ripped guy, you know. But after that, there's a benefit to everything, like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, pretty intense sometimes. I didn't even think of the travel schedule either. Yeah. How that that would be hard to keep oh, up man. with writing when you're on the road and here and there, flying everywhere. I'd be exhausted yeah. all the time if I were you. That sounds terrible, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty exhausting. Yeah, it's, I, I was fueled by beer and coffee for about three years. You know, like, <laughs> um, when it comes to like when you were writing Colony, did that like just with your archaeology and stuff? Did you find maybe you're adding too much of that into the book? How much did you have to take out and anything like that? You know, contribute yeah, to the book in a positive way versus a negative? I guess more than the archaeology stuff. I mean, that was the bit that kind of came more naturally to me. But there's a lot of stuff in this book which didn't, you know. Um, there's a lot of technology in there. So I talk about submarines and helicopters and, you know, all sort of hovercraft, things like that, which I didn't know anything about, you know. And I, so I ended up doing an awful lot of research into it. Um, and those were the bits that I ended up having to trim out. 
because because I, I became so obsessed with these yeah. you know these technologies yeah. of writing pages and pages about why a helicopter rotor goes the way it does you know and that sort of stuff so all that had to come back out but with the archaeology i guess it just kind of made sense you know i i could i could tell what what Callum would think and what he would do you know cuz i'm familiar with the mm-hmm. with that mindset really well one of the difficult things about being a writer is when you're researching something and you're learning new things you get so excited mm-hmm. and passionate yeah. about those things you're learning that you want to you want the reader to know all that stuff that's precisely it, yeah. Uh-huh. But then you re- you sit back and realise, but actually, it's irrelevant to the story. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm gonna, as much as I love it and I think it's great and interesting, I'm gonna have to chop it, mm. you know. And then you just throw down, you just fall down those uh, those rabbit holes yeah. of different, like the Wikipedia's and the and the YouTube's of yeah. just looking up different things. And then you're not even writing anymore; yeah. you're just watching videos yeah. and documentaries. Oh man, that that's that's regular, isn't it? You mm-hmm. get into it, you're like, oh, I've got a couple of hours, I can do some writing. Two hours passes, and you've just researched something which you're yeah. gonna. You're going to end up cutting out your book, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when you, you fall into, especially if you're working with a publisher and you have to submit your story to your editor, and then you're going from a creative endeavor to more of a commercial value of your book. So yeah. that's what they're thinking. So I would imagine they're giving you notes all the time. Hey, do you really need this? Take this out. That's probably got to yeah. be draining. I've never had to deal with that as of yet. It, it was. I mean, the, the main one for me was with them um, when I first, when I got my agent back in 2000 and sort of, I don't know, 15, I think it was. Um, she, uh, she's, she's great. I, I really love Joanna, but she, she basically told me to take out about four, 40 or 50,000 words. <laughs> oh, no. I'd written like the original, the original draft of Colony was about 160,000 words long. <laughs> and I think it ended up being about 110, but she, she was absolutely right. Of course, it was all mm. this like, you know, it was stuff that I was finding fascinating and, and also very big, long, extended action sequences. Right. Um, you know, which were, were great, but they didn't further the story at all. So they were. Yeah, the pacing's less... a main thing, editors. Yeah. They notice yeah. more than the writer usually. Because yeah. you might think you're moving at a faster pace and moving the story along, but you bog it down. Even with action scenes, you know, it goes on too long. You could uh, yeah. almost make it a boring read by having too much action. Yeah. Yeah, def- oh, definitely. And I think that was exactly what, what she picked up on uh, with Colony. So, yeah, as painful as it was, <laughs> I had to basically take an axe to it and cut, you know, a good sort of quarter of what I'd written out, which mm-hmm. was, you know, it still haunts me to this day, but there we are. <laughs> well, maybe you can uh, save it and use it for something else. You know what? This is what I've been thinking. Yeah. <laughs> or, 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 like, make it sort of uh, extra content on the website, you know? Yeah. Or, like, maybe, you know, in years to come, maybe do a, an unabridged. Yeah, like, like an, like an uncut version, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. So I've still, I've still got it. You know, I didn't, I didn't take it out and then delete it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Well, but, that's where yeah. if you, you know, you start developing your fans. If you had a Patreon or a Kickstarter for something, you yeah. can throw those things into it, and uh, yeah, not only get some more money your way, but people would really enjoy that. Especially if you're writing. Now, this wouldn't be you specifically, but like hard sci-fi or anything like that. When you have those details, you. There's a lot of stuff you're going to take out, but there are people who want to read those, yeah. and they will pay for them. So it's always something to yeah. keep in mind. Don't delete. No, always have yeah. a file. <laughs> Don't delete, never and, hit, and name that file delete. accordingly. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Nothing's worse than an unmarked folder. <laughs> what is yeah. that? I have so many of those. Like, I don't remember writing. This is a whole novella. I don't remember writing that at all. <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it, over the years, like the number of sort of started novels that you've got, which oh. you never kind of like completed or, you know, started short stories. Now, now, could you imagine if this was like, you know, not even that long ago before like computers and stuff like that was so, re- so oh, available? Yeah. You would just have like stacks of just paper, yeah. just like of unfinished things everywhere yeah he would yeah tied together with string or like sealed with wax or whatever they did <laughs> there's that italio uh, i think it's the italio cavino novel i might have messed his name up but uh he has that one novel where every chapter is a different book oh, yeah, i think I that was probably just him go- i think that was just him going through all his unfinished manuscripts and like this is a good story <laughs> that started and just did that <laughs> So maybe one day I'll just make a collage of all the, of the unfinished work that's just in the ether right now. <laughs> that's a pretty good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we touched on your writing routine or lack thereof in the past uh, when you were a young Indiana Jones type. Now that you're a more distinguished gentleman, uh, I'm not assuming Thank a you. man of leisure, but you know, <laughs> you, you're able to be up in the late hours. Uh, has your writing routine changed at all? Has it become more... Uh, you know, set in, yeah. in in a certain time period or anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know, I've, I've written a second novel and I did it. Um, I wrote it where Colony took me years and years. Um, I wrote the second one in a year, and the the way that I did it was by getting into a routine like that. By that stage, I was able to because I'd mo- I'd stopped doing the field work so much and I'd started doing reporting. Mm-hmm. So it's more it's more office based, you know. So suddenly my my life had a sense of routine i was starting at a certain time and finishing at a certain time mm. and and what i did was basically uh i kind of trained myself to get up at, at four o'clock in the morning every day for a year and that's that's how i did it basically i'd put four hours in before i started work every day and yeah it you know i was able to do it but I, you know it, it wasn't easy <laughs> it was it, it took some it took some getting used to I've tried the morning routine before, and I <laughs> I crashed and burned yeah. hard after a couple of weeks. It's just yeah. it's terrible because to uh, be honest, Caleb, you'll probably live longer. Yeah, <laughs> I swear it. It must have, that routine must have taken ten years off my life. Easy. <laughs> well, I listened to uh, Stephen Kotler talk about flow states and how he would wake up like three, four in the morning when his family's still asleep. So he could start writing before he's even fully awake because it helps creativity or something. You're half in that dreamlike state. Uh, that didn't work for me. I just wanted coffee and I was just angry all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get in any flow state at all. So I don't know. What you, I think maybe it helps when you're like really rich like he is. Yeah. Yeah. I just imagine that you stuck with that routine and gradually your main character just gets more and more angry. Yeah. <laughs> gets more haggard throughout. His- yeah. By the final chapter, yeah. he's just in an absolute rage. Get, <laughs> get a real, like, shining scenario yeah. going on. It was supposed to be a love story and it just lots of murder end up happening. It's like, that doesn't fit with this at all. But I'm keeping it because I'm angry. <laughs> Did you have any issues with like crafting the characters? Because I noticed in the beginning you had a lot of Russian characters, and uh, were the you know were they based just on people maybe you've met throughout the years or things like that? Because I always have trouble kind of writing foreign characters because I can't. Yeah, that I you know if I've never been to Russia, it'd be hard for me to get in the mind of a Russian. And the and the yeah. uh, the the dialect and the the speaking, mm. I I, fi- I always find is difficult with those yeah, kind of characters, inflections and things like that. Yeah, I, I think with the um, with the Russian side of things, I, that was one of the areas that I really had to research. You know, 
Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know very much about Russia at all, and so there was a lot of time spent sort of getting used to the way that their their system works over there, and the sort of like national mentality, and you know how people from different areas respond. I mean, one of the main characters in the book is a um, is what we think of as a sergeant major, you know, um, like in the army. So he's like the highest level of uh, of non commissioned officer. Uh, so he's a hard ass, basically, um, up top of his game. And there's a particular rank that refers to that over over in Russia and Ukraine, um, which is Starshina, which there's no equivalent for really over here. Mm. So that was, you know, it's little details like that that you have to kind of research and pick up on. As for the other characters, though, I think they're more than people I've met before. It's personalities that I've met, you know, mm. um, and just sort of drawn on. Just That kind of touches on something that uh, I've always felt intimidated by was coming up like if i wanted to tell a story that dealt with people from the army or just the military and you know whatever branch of military because i'd be so worried i would get it wrong yeah even with yeah, research yeah, yeah. it's easy to get it wrong if you never lived that life especially just, with the yeah. ranks and whatnot. just even that you might know it but as you're typing it out you just you flub yeah. it and you don't ever realize it or catch it yeah. and there's always going to be that one guy that's like Actually, yeah, actually, push up the glasses. Yeah, Yeah. it it is a worry. I mean, there's so this is it. You know, there's so much in this book where if somebody was really inclined to do it, they could pick through it. You know, and probably pick holes in in some Mm -hmm. of it. But it's a work of fiction, isn't it? You know, you guys (laughs) know. At the end of the day, it's you know this is made up stuff. So um, you know the realism that's in there is is great. It's you know it's a bonus really Mm -hmm. in 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 a respect, (laughs) isn't it? So yeah, like. I don't know. With the military side of things, though, I did when I was a bit younger. I was, I was, um, I did, sort of tried out for a couple of units and had a kind of a dabble in the military side of things. So it was kind of, it kind of interested me, and I was kind of, you know, a little bit more familiar, I guess, with the way that that mentality works. Mm. So that that helped to an extent. Uh, you mentioned a second novel that you already finished. Is that mm. another uh, Ross Cal- or Callum Ross thriller, or is it a different universe completely? No, that it's a different guy altogether. It's um, so I can't say too much about it because it's you know it's really early days with it. But uh, it's set in the Peruvian Amazon, and uh, it's a, a different lead character. Uh, he's called Ryan Miller, and yeah, it's it's the same sort of action, uh, archaeology sort of based uh, narrative. But yeah, it's it's a different different setup really. And what what I was hoping to do was kind of write. You know, like one Callum Ross book, and then one with Ryan Miller, and then one with Callum. You know, and so and on right. and so forth. Oh, do like an alternate? That'd be cool. Ooh, yeah, eventually you can have a meet up, and they could have like a crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do all what Stephen King does and try yeah. to you know yeah. universe all the books together. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. <laughs> when you went into write, well, I'd imagine Colin. It was just because that's the story you wanted to tell, but especially with the second one, did you think about the niche market of you know have thrillers with archaeology themes and stuff? Or are you just telling the story you want to tell? Because when we had Nicholas Obergon on, he his publisher kind of wanted him to go more towards the crime fiction yeah. for a story because that's what sells and, you know, that's like the niche market. Yeah. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, I've had exactly the same experience. Um, it's, you know, crime, particularly over here, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, it might be, but in the UK, crime is like the most popular of the genre fiction mm. by a long, long way. You know, if you go into um, like a, a supermarket, you look at the books they've got on there, which will all be like the top most popular bestsellers. Um, I, I reckon maybe anywhere from 60 to 80% of them are probably crime. 
So for obviously for publishers and agents, what you know, it's a bonus if they're yeah. the person they're representing writes crime. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean I had a lot of publishers recommend that, that that's what I did. Um, I guess my you know my sort of comeback to that is that I I prefer to read and I very much prefer to write the action stuff, you know, thrillers. Mm. Um, and I think you do you do to a certain extent. You have to be true to yourself in that respect because otherwise people aren't going to buy it, are they? You know, I think it will come across in your writing that actually you're writing something for commercial purposes rather than because you enjoy it and you're passionate about it. It's certainly that's something that I find is quite obvious when I'm reading, you know, Mills and Boone style novels that have just been churned out, you know. Yeah. Um, well, not to give you a backhanded compliment, but when I read the synopsis before I started reading any of your novel, I kind of had a preconceived notion of your writing style, and hmm. you're, I feel like your writing definitely has a lot more literary merit than I was expecting, which was a very pleasant su uh, surprise. So I don't know if that's just with your educational background or anything, but like when, when you go into reading books, do you like to read kind of the fluffier action stuff, or do you like more things with the, like that goes with your style of writing more of like the literary with the gore and the action and the fun stuff but still that nice beautiful language you use yeah i, I think that was thank you by the way that's, that's a really nice compliment thank you very much i it's something that I, I did i was very sort of like um i was very keen to try and do with this book basically was not sort of let it go lapse too far into the kind of the 2d character you know sort of side of things that you can get with action thrillers mm. yeah um it's obviously there's plot and then there's your characterization and quite often with action it, the plot is the priority by a, a million miles isn't it yeah um and i didn't i didn't really want to do that um i did want to like keep the language and the characterization a bit more um developed and I mean, it's it probably draws a lot on the fact that I read quite, you know, quite an eclectic mix of stuff. I enjoy reading um, just sort of basic thrillers. You know, I just I love that experience mm. of you not needing to turn the pages. But at the same time, I do love to read stories that have got really beautiful language as well um, and stories that are really well written, like Salman Rushdie, um, Arundhati Roy and, and people like that. You know, I do enjoy that stuff as well. So... I, I guess that's probably where it's come from, really. It's kind of an amalgam of those two interests that I've got. Yeah, it definitely shows in your writing. And uh, I think that's a good way of going about writing a novel because it doesn't make your novel as forgettable. Like, if you have just your fun action thriller, like you said, they could be fun page turners that you read. But I've read books like that where I enjoyed them and then just kind of completely forgot about them. Well, it's like those old-timey, yeah. like, you know, those books you could buy for a quarter you'd yeah, have in your like back some, pocket and some you pulps or something you'd read it yeah. and it's gone you know like the old penny dreadful yeah. or something. i mean which is sad because if you go back and read a lot of those the language they use is, is a lot more yeah. uh, intricate than yeah. a lot of modern fiction but back then it wasn't it was just kind of fluff fun reads well i mean the the, the other interesting thing though, caleb is that it kind of beats a middle line and this isn't something that i'd intended to do at all it's just something i've noticed since people have started posting reviews on goodreads and stuff people that are more that their tastes are more literary will say oh yeah i loved uh, the start of the book more because that's where a lot of the description is you know about mm -hmm. the island and things and then people that are more about the the action side of things will like say the yeah, second I half. yeah i wasn't mm -hmm. too keen on the first bit, but i like the second bit you know mm -hmm. um 
and it kind of yeah it kind of sort of beats that path through the middle which is is you know is great because it means more people are going to enjoy at least one aspect of, of your writing i wanted to talk to you off air which i will about the review stuff since you brought those up but just for on-air purposes because I read some of the reviews, and from what I've seen, everything seemed very, you know, good. I didn't, I don't think I've seen any negative ones. But have you had any horror stories in regards to reviews? Anybody that just really shredded your work, whether it's a short story or your novel or anything? Not really. I, there is one one funny thing with it though. Was um, when I first went on Goodreads, um, the very first review that I got was it was a three star review, which is which is fair enough, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean that's on Goodreads, that's a recommendation. But it was it was a very short review. It was basically this is an okay book in inverted commas. <laughs> you know, um <laughs> But it needs more editing and, you know, uh, uh, I just like the scary bits, you know, and it was very short and snappy. And it was the very first review I'd got, you know. And so, obviously, I, when I first saw it, I was thinking, oh, man, this is how it's going to go down, you know. <laughs> it could definitely <laughs> is- suck the wind out of your sails there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I but what I did, I, I had a look at the person who'd posted it. I had a look at the other reviews that she'd put up. And, you know, I mean, what I got away with was pretty damn good, really. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there were other ones where she'd just she'd given it one star and just basically said, you know, literally, this is the stupidest book I've ever read in my life. <laughs> well, that's, you know? what, that's one thing when I go on Goodreads to read reviews, um, especially when it comes to either indie authors or authors I'm not familiar with, is I, even if it's a five-star glowing review or a negative review, whatever, I go to the actual reviewer's page to see their history. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, some you'll see they have a tendency just to eviscerate everything, but not comment on it, like, not review anything they actually like. Uh, you get hmm. that with, like, Yelpers and you know, there's the whole review culture of just being negative to be negative. And then you have some people who are just almost overly positive, where it's like every book's a five-star yeah. read. So the, like a three-star read to me, because I've given books I really enjoyed a three-star read just because I felt that's where, you know, if I have something that I really, really like that's on the top mm-hmm. of my list, and then something that, which I usually don't even review things that I really don't like, yeah. but... If something's on the yeah. bottom, like I feel like a middle is very solid. Like you said, a recommendation. Like you would, you would su- suggest somebody read yeah. that book. So that's not a knock, though. Just saying it's okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. take what you can get when yeah. you're starting out. Like especially when it comes to your first book, you're probably yeah. very uh, wary. You're like, oh no, are they gonna like it? Are they gonna hate it? Well, at when that you, point, yep. it's just nice to have reviews. Like, ah, oh, somebody read it. <laughs> that's the yeah, worst yeah. thing. The worst review is just no review. <laughs> just complete indifference yeah. to your work. That's the worst. Very true, and I, I mean, it's had you know, it's had quite a few reviews now, and I mean, it's had I think on Goodreads, for example, it's had about uh, like seventy percent of them have been five star, and the rest of them have been mainly four, and then I've had like two or three three star ones as well. Mm-hmm. One thing that I have noticed is that, it, and this is kind of counterintuitive, is that it's not the five star ones that generate the interest. It's the four star ones, and it's a very peculiar like mentality that's behind it. But it's you know if somebody puts a five star review up, you look at it and you look at the five stars and you think yeah they thought it was great and you move on. You know mm-hmm. if somebody puts four stars up, you look at it and you think okay they thought it was great, but there was something they didn't like. They actually have a yeah. critique. Yeah, and so then you go into it and you're like okay so what's what's the deal? And you get so many more comments on yeah. <laughs> on the four star ones really and that's another thing you know i'd never ex- expected or experienced so yeah steep learning curve isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well when you go with goodread reviews too you have to you have to watch who's reviewing because for instance when i rev- like i don't really review books i just give a star rating and that's not actually 
for the author, that's for my catalog. Yeah. So if I look back and I go, oh, I enjoyed that book, and you know, if I ever want to reread or just like we do that a lot on the podcast where we talk about a book, it's like I don't remember how much I like that, and just looking back at the stars, I'll go, oh yeah, that was really good. So yeah. I do know like a lot of people just use it for cataloging, but then obviously you have the written review. And I'm very wary when I go into those because, like I said, I like to read certain reviews before I get into a book I don't know. And it's easy to get turned off on a book when you see, like, just a – like, usually when it's about the writing, too. Um, so yeah. as long as you don't get an actual negative review about the writing, like, as in grammatical errors, typos, which yeah. obviously would be more indie authors. But I think that would be the worst versus just somebody didn't like the story. Because if you don't like the story, I, that's acceptable. Yeah, so that's it's not a matter of taste. Yeah, either that's yeah. fine. But if they actually just think your writing is dog shit, <laughs> then they're like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think the worst thing for me, though, would be um, would be if somebody had said it was boring. Oh, yeah. 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 That, Again, the indifference. Me. Like, if they just, uh, they don't yeah. want it. That's, that's terrible. I, I remember when I was uh, I was a lot younger and like I was just first starting getting interested in girls and uh, I'd, I'd met this girl. Me and my mate had gone to the beach and uh, I'd met this girl and um, I couldn't tell whether she liked me or not, you know. And I'd gone off on the evening and I'd said to my mate's mom just because she was the only girl in the room, really. I said, you know, what, what you know, what should I read into this? She's been saying these things to me and all the rest of it. And she, she turned to me and she went, look, as long as she doesn't tell you that you're boring. <laughs> 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 then you got you got a chance, <laughs> and I guess that crosses over, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that works with so many things. Yeah. If it's boring, it's just like, oh, yeah. movie's boring. That's the worst. It's like, ah. yeah. like it's a bad movie you could even enjoy. Yeah, but a boring yeah. movie nobody enjoys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a couple more minutes here. I was trying to think of what else we touched on. Like just with your writing and um, your writing style, was it easier? When you were um, trying to score a, a, like a literary agent, did that help with that? Or was that just like one of Because I would imagine I would be very nervous, especially if it's some unsolicited like submission. Like, yeah. hey, you know, I'm a, a new writer. I don't have any workout. Like, I think that would be uh, that would be hard to do. Yeah, it's um, I mean, I think unless you're, you know, unless you're really special, you're going to get rejected by a load of agents, basically, aren't you? Mm. You know, and that certainly that, that happened to me. Um, I must have got half a dozen uh, rejections from agents before the agent that uh you cut off he's going he can't hear us either i think um and it's just about having finding that right person um, you cut off and we didn't hear anything you said after the word agent <laughs> oh right <laughs> so you were, i guess you couldn't hear us you're just talking and talking <laughs> yeah so uh yeah basically you I forgot what the hell I was saying now. <laughs> I think I was just making it up. Um, no, you, uh, yeah, if you, the, the problem with it is that, you know, it's such a subjective thing, isn't it? Literature, any art mm. is, is hugely subjective. So not everybody is by any stretch of the imagination is going to like your stuff, but there will be people out there who really do like it. And it's, that's where an element of luck comes into it as well. Because you might find exactly the right person to represent your book. You know, they represent other authors who do the same genre mm. um, and all that sort of stuff, and they're very good. But it may be that they just don't connect with what you've written. So it is very much about, you know, targeting the right people, but then also look, really. You know, so it's you have to have a bit of a thick skin, don't you, to yeah. be a writer? You, you're gonna, you have to be able to take 
rejections, um, you know, like, like anything else. I think that's one of the big things that aren't that's never really brought up when it's coming into breaking into writing or anything creative is is like the luck aspect of yeah. it, or just like the chance. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. with the the literature landscape right now, especially when the, with the indie culture, you know, it's booming, but it's way oversaturated because now everybody can just publish a book. I feel like a lot of people think they can leapfrog the process. They don't need a literary agent. They don't need a publisher. They mm. can just publish their own work and hope their social media presence would sell the copies. And mm. uh, I think that could be very detrimental if you don't do it in the right way. And again, yeah. it's it's the substance of your book, your writing, yeah. your story. That's what has to come first. So as long as you can yeah. nail those, I think you, you can get – again, luck does come in. You know, No matter what, you got to be lucky. Even if, you know, we see a lot of celebrities, like actors and stuff, who write novels, and they, they can't get it because yeah. you just, the writing has to yeah. be there. It's, it's not an easy <laughs> endeavor at all. If it was, a lot more people yeah. would uh, be rich and famous, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're right. I think it's uh, one of the best definitions um, of look that I ever heard was it's where preparation meets opportunity. So, you know, if you've got, if you've actually prepared a manuscript which is worthy of publication, uh, and then you manage to get to it to somebody, um, you know, who is actually interested. There's your opportunity, you know. Mm-hmm. And when those two come together, that's that's where you've been lucky because uh, it's not going to happen all the time or for, for everybody. So, it's um, yeah, it takes both really, doesn't it? You've got to have something solid there that's saleable, but you've also got to get it to the yeah. right person. And they've got to be interested on the day, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they got out the wrong side of the bed. Maybe they've just had a row with somebody, you know. Um it, it, all these factors come into play, don't they? Well, just as somebody who's read a lot of submissions and been on that other side of just, you know, being able to accept or reject work, I would imagine being a literary agent is actually really hard yeah. because mm. it's not just about, you know, you like a story and you have to accept it. You have to know what the publisher is going to like, what you think is actually going to sell because you can read a really good submission and be like, oh, that story, I love that story, but it's not going to sell. It's There's not yeah. the, there's no audience for that the, particular yeah, story. Yeah. That that would be tough, because uh, I would imagine, and then just rejecting people does suck. I don't like doing it. Yeah, it, like you just you feel like garbage doing. It. I mean, I you get a th- like as a writer getting rejected, and a, as the agent doing the rejecting, you both get a thick skin in the process. So the more yeah. you reject people, obviously, the more you would uh, be more comfortable with it, or just not think about it. But as a new writer, that's that's a it's a terrible feeling. I've had many submissions just for different literary magazines get rejected, and a lot of them are just like, I don't think they actually read this at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah, sucks, yeah. but it happens. <laughs> yeah. You'll get that a lot too. If there's, you know, any publication yeah. that has hundreds of, th- or probably hundreds of thousands, but thousands of submissions, if it's a contest, then maybe hundreds of thousands, yeah. you, you might not just, just you they might not get read. Yeah, they might not even look at it. I might look at the title, uh, read the first paragraph of, if you're lucky, your story, but probably just your, you know, your cover letter and, that's all you get. It happens. Yeah. And you're right. It's things like uh, you, you kind of take a victory, don't you, if you get a proper reply as well. Yeah. Even if it's a rejection, you know, <laughs> yeah, rather than like, ah! a, a form reply, you know, <laughs> where they type it out and it's got the wrong name, you know, and everything. It's, you know, as long as it's somebody's actually taken the time to write you a proper response. Well, that's like, what I well, love is when I actually get any feedback, even if I got yeah. rejected, if I just get the feedback, it's like, ah. So when I get writers that submit, even if I'm rejecting them, I try to give them feedback. Yeah. If I at least feel it's worthy, because nothing is worse than the, just the general, oh, well, we enjoyed your story. It just wasn't right for our publication. Yeah, like, oh, you yeah. didn't fucking care. Thank, thank you for your submission. <laughs> it's not right yeah. for our list at this time. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it happens. Mm. Though I do find also a correlation between indie authors 
and like just being a writer getting rejected is a lot of indie authors were writers who tried once or twice, got rejected, and just, I'm going to publish my own shit. And I think the rejection process is actually very valuable for a writer because it does give you a thicker skin and it makes your writing better. Yeah. You might not like the feedback yeah. you get from your beta readers or uh, especially an editor that you might be working with. You're like, I don't want to take that out. But like you said, 50, 60,000 words out of your novel seems like, a, like you know, somebody cut off your arm. But yeah. if it makes the pace better and it makes the story better, yeah, you can't really complain. It'll make your writing yeah. better. You just It's hard to see when you're the actual writer. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's another thing, you know, I, a lot of people I see, um, you know, talking on Twitter and other places will, you know, one of the most common questions is, should I, should I get an agent? You know, I've heard they're really hard to get. And it's like, well, yeah, they're meant to be, you know, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that are maintaining a certain standard here. Um, and also, if they weren't sort of, you know, very rigorous in, in who they took on as clients, then publishers wouldn't trust them, you know. Um, so that there is, there's a reason for it, and and you're right. It's you know, c- constructive criticism is one of the best things you can get as a writer, and particularly as a new writer. Well, I know the first few, I'd say, handful of times I got actual critiques and feedback for some of my stories, especially negative feedback. It hurts. Like it sucks. Mm-hmm. You just want to be like, mm, I don't want to quit. I want to fucking throw this away. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's what separates. I don't want to say real writers, but people who are gonna succeed in the uh you know as a maybe not necessarily even a career but just being able to succeed get stories published are those who could power through that you gotta accept it's, it it's it, that and it's stubbornness as well isn't it yeah you know you got it you really uh, you know there comes a point where you just have to say i'm not gonna give in yeah <laughs> just, just be literally be that stubborn and say nope you know i'm carrying on with this and uh, you're gonna have it <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah it's uh yeah you do it needs that level of determination as well mm-hmm. doesn't it well we're about an hour in i think we covered pretty much everything yeah, unless yeah. there's anything you wanted to bring up ben I, I think that's it it's been great talking to you guys i've had a i've had a really good time <laughs> yeah it's uh, for, for midnight on a thursday yeah. <laughs> this is one of the best the best times i've had <laughs> one of the few thursdays i'm not drinking though yeah. maybe next time we'd definitely love to have you again um I- Especially when I was going to say, it's a shame we couldn't share a beer, actually. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. Enjoyed, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. if I'm ever in England, i got a couple places to go now. Yeah. Uh, South, North, yeah. Scotland, i got all kinds of places. <laughs> if the world ever opens up again, yeah. I don't really want to be on a plane. If you can ever go someplace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny enough, I get to go to work. That, that hasn't yeah, changed. If I have yeah, to go to the IRS. Everybody's cool with you going to work. That's yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah. If I have to go talk to the tax man, that always is still open. But everything yeah. else, no. Yeah. Can't go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh where can our uh listeners find you you know where can they find your book social media all that stuff yeah sure so there's uh the, the official website is www.benjamin-cross.com uh you can find me on twitter you can find me on facebook you can find me on in- insta as we were talking about I'll pro- i promise i'll get better <laughs> um and yeah if uh you know if you're interested to to pick up a copy of colony you can the ebook is available um you can get it from barnes and noble it was the day after it launched. It was a bestseller on Barnes and Noble on Nook, um, the ebook version that is. And uh, yeah, you can get it off Amazon as Kindle, and yeah, um, paperbacks should be available pretty soon again. Be able to get them from places like Book Depository and you know maybe even eBay, I guess. Excellent. I'm definitely yeah. gonna pick up a copy of that. Um, and like I said, keep us uh, updated when your next novel comes out. Yeah. Not just yeah, have we'll you. Do. Well, we don't yeah. have to have you on again just when your novel comes out. You come on whenever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're free and you want to talk, have an idea you want to talk about, we can always use yeah. the the content. 
<laughs> Any time, guys, I'd love to. Well, yeah. well, appreciate you coming on so late, and until uh, next time, keep on writing. Yeah. See you later.